Brady, CEO of Grist, <laughs> my boss. Andrew, it's, it's good to be back. I, we did this once before. We have, and it's been a minute uh, since you last co-piloted one of these with me. What do you think of the pod so far, Brady? Uh, it's been super exciting. I mean, you've had amazing people on it. And I mean, I think it's just what we set out to do, which is to have these interesting, provocative conversations about uh, race and climate and culture. And the reviews we've had at the iTunes store say the same thing. It's been very, it's been very encouraging. I know. Keep those reviews coming if you like the podcast. And if you don't like the podcast, I guess I should say it's okay to review anyway, but we want those five-star reviews. Well, this is Temperature Check, a podcast from Grist. Temperature Check is a weekly show about climate, race, and culture. My name is Andrew Simon, and in just a few minutes, you'll hear my conversation with Faith Briggs about public lands and equal access to the outdoors. Faith is a runner and filmmaker. Her recent documentary short is out now. It's called This Land, uh, and we're super excited about it. Um, Brady, um, what are your thoughts on um, access to the outdoors and getting out and the importance of that? Well, I, this is a special episode. I mean, it's certainly very timely. We are, you know, I think there's never been a time more when we've thought about this integration of equity and access to public space. You know, we just wrote this article in Grist that I thought was terrific looking at tree equity. And it was thinking about mm. tree canopies and the importance for access to tree canopies to be, you know, impacting environmental justice issues like urban heat islands where you're seeing a lot of communities of color, disproportionately black and brown communities being really hit hard by extreme weather and the impacts of our built environment and cities impacting that. And, you know, access to the outdoors and during COVID, it's been even more poignant. It has really represented itself as, you know, we've needed to get outside um, and not all of us have the same kind of access to the outside. Yeah, it's a fantastic conversation with Faith. Um, I really enjoyed all the conversations. Uh, you know, I especially am thinking of the conversation with Dr. Chelsea Frazier and how she took us through this long history of Black women uh, as protectors of the environment, as storytellers about protection of the environment. And we were still able to talk about Beyonce and Issa Rae and Megan Thee Stallion because they're all relevant uh, to that theme. I love the episode you did with Jillian Brave Noisecat, who's at Data for Progress. And I, I thought it was just great how he talked about the complexity of you know being a journalist and thinking about activism and his work in pushing for you know Green New Deal and big kind of pieces of progressive policy change around climate action. It's also been cool how you've brought in other journalists from different publications around the country who are working and thinking about these same issues. I, I, it's been great. I mean, it's been I've loved how you've mixed up the co-hosts too. I'm honestly humbled and honored by all of the guests we've spoken to throughout the season. It's been so f just inspiring, frankly. We should just also say that, you know, we're closing in on the end of season one, and this coincides with a big life change for you, Andrew. Um, and you're going to be away from us for a few months. Uh, this is correct. Uh, this is part of the reason we're going on a little hiatus. Talked a little bit about this throughout the season, but my wife and I are expecting a baby, baby boy. And by the time this episode publishes, I should be a new father, which is so exciting and terrifying at the same time. And we are going to miss you. But, you know, you, you will be back to us and we'll be back on the airwaves with hopefully a second season of Temperature Check. Oh, thank you, Brady. And I will miss this podcast genuinely. As, as I just said, it's been such a joy. So excited to start the new year with a new baby. And Chris, of course, will be covering all the important stories around climate, race, and culture online at Chris.org. And we'll talk about Chris in 2021 uh, after this uh, conversation with Faith. 
And just reminding you again, you're listening to Temperature Check from Grist. Hi, I'm Mirka, the Social Media Engagement Fellow at Grist.org. Temperature Check is a new show about climate, race, and culture produced by Grist and made possible by listeners like you. Founded in 1999, Grist remains committed to changing the national narrative around climate. And as a nonprofit, none of our work is possible without the steady and loyal support from people like you. At a time when our global community demands action to address the climate crisis, our work at Grist has never been more important. Every day we work tirelessly to bring you the climate news that matters most. And for us to engage our audience of millions of people, we need you. So thank you for joining today's episode and please consider making a donation to Grist today. Donate now and your gift will be matched dollar for dollar. Thanks for tuning in. Faith, welcome in. Hey, Andrew, thank you. Excited to be here. So let's get into it, Faith. Your documentary, This Land, makes connections between race and the great outdoors. Could you talk about the history of how certain groups have been excluded from public outdoor spaces, You know, whether it's by... Uh, explicit segregationist practices or even more cultural effects? Um, so, you know, e- easy, easy first question. <laughs> I think it's an important first question because yeah. it's our history. It's everything. Yeah. And I think yeah. that for some reason, I mean, I guess just the way that we've learned our history, a lot of the, the fact that those same, the same segregation, the same discrimination, um, that that we, we don't realize that extended to the outdoors. And so we're used to maybe seeing photos of a segregated lunch counter or seeing what's only at a water fountain. But what people don't realize is those same signs existed at our national parks. And beyond that, the idea of being able to be in safe places where violence could be regulated, that was not going to be the case in a lot of areas. So Mm. um, I would say like historically, you know, um, if you look at the national parks, for example, which is one of the primary um, examples that we often use to talk about outdoor recreational spaces, the national parks uh, they had in the south, they kind of specifically didn't write this on paper because mm. they didn't want to seem racist. But in southern states that were traditionally slave states or that were currently um, operating under two segregated systems, they would know, oh, campgrounds number three and five, for example, those are the black mm. campgrounds. But one, two, and four, those are going to be white campgrounds. And so people kind of knew in practice that that was the way that things were going to be. Um, there were white state parks and there were black state parks. There were white beaches and black beaches. It was just, it was, and some of those would be posted where it would say whites only at the beach. And then when, you know, over a series of laws, including Plessy D. Ferguson and Brown versus the Board of Education, when segregation and separate but eco was turned over, but it wasn't immediately overnight turnover practice. Right. I think that's something that people often don't understand not having right. lived through it. Um, I actually just saw a, a photo yesterday of a woman, a black woman standing on the street and two people in KKK hoods are just walking down the street, passing her, you know, mm. not even mm-hmm. looking at each other. Mm. But the idea that that would have been something that you could just see any day and so I think that's something that people don't really understand. It's like, oh, those were whites-only spaces. And then those signs came down. But, you know, if there had historically been a whites-only lake, for example, are you going to show up the next day when people are angry about the end of segregation and just go fishing and be able to do that safely? Right. Absolutely not. The first lines of this land, the film, are, I, I 
I never thought of myself as a conservationist. I used to think that conservation was a really privileged thing. I'd never thought of myself as a conservationist. I actually used to think that conservation was a really privileged thing and that, you know, for people from historically marginalized communities, I had to think about people first. The battle now is saying, no, I am a conservationist and redefining what that means. That's one thing I was wondering as I watched the movie a few times, you know, was one objective of this movie for you to simply show people of color outside being active with beautiful natural backdrops uh, because we just don't see enough of these images. And, and also the part two is, you know, is this why film was the best medium to tell this story? On the one hand, the answer is yes. Yeah. On the other hand, I almost feel like for me, the representation angle of my work in terms of who we're seeing and who's telling the story at this point, I don't even think about that. I'm not like, oh, I need to make work that is representative. I'm like, oh, that's what my community is. Those are who my references are. Every single person in the film is a friend of mine. And so it sounds funny now, but right. I didn't know that my own identity, that conversation about race and history and culture were going to be as big a part of it as they were, because that's just, that's who I am. That's just my life. That's how I talk about things. But my plan was to talk about public lands. I wanted to I wanted to understand what was going on with the monuments. I wanted to understand how to translate the urgency of that conversation to my community back at home who wasn't already involved in like conservation conversations. Yeah, and you know, let's maybe take a step back and talk a bit about these protected public lands that have come under threat during the Trump administration. I'm wondering if you could maybe just, you know, share some examples uh, for the locations that you chose for the movie and why they are currently under threat. When we started out, um, Addie Thompson, who's the associate producer of the film, I remember we were, I don't know, we must have been sitting at my house or we were sitting around and we were like, what, what is the deal with the National Alliance? Let's Google all of them. So we mm. found this New York Times article and we were going through all the, the things that were on the Zinke um, kind of chopping block and we were writing down where they were, started mapping where they were. And, you know, some of them we couldn't find. I specifically remember looking for the Pacific Remote Islands and we were just like zooming in on Google like, over and over again. Like, where are they? We were just trying to learn why these monuments themselves were so controversial. And I think the reality is that the monuments themselves weren't the controversy. Mm. It was a power dynamic. It was the power between the Trump administration and the Obama administration and every other Democratic administration that had come come before. It was about Trump's ego. And the more I learned about the Antiquities Act and the way that that act had been used in the past, the more I learned about oil and our kind of antiquated ways of mining claims and all that. And would you mind talking about what the Antiquities Act is in particular? Because that's fascinating. Totally. Yeah. The Antiquities Act, it's an interesting story. I mean, it, once again, capitalism always always shows up. <laughs> um, so specifically around Chaco Canyon and a few other places that were very much places where Native Americans had been removed from, the Antiquities Act was started in 1906 and was a way to create um, protections over certain areas or places that we said were really important to American culture heritage. Now, the crazy thing about that is there could have been, for example, Chaco Canyon, let's say, if that became a national monument protected by the Antiquities Act, and then it would have been a segregated space. 
for people like we couldn't even visit. So it's just insane to think about the levels of hypocrisy that were always a part of this quote unquote conservation. I'm wondering, Faith, too, you know, now that there's the Biden-Harris administration coming in, you know, what do you hope the new administration will do or maybe even undo when it comes to public lands? You know, in terms of the the Biden-Harris administration, it's it's such a hard, I feel like the Trump administration, like, can I just say, like, ruined everything? That's not what I mean. But what I mean is, like, the the Trump administration set such strange precedents that it's hard to know what matters now. Yeah. Like, and it's it's particularly if you look at what Trump did by reducing and undoing uh, monumental status and monumental protections that had been done by previous presidents was unprecedented. And it's the same thing with the drilling in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge and this lease sale. In my mind, like it's so scary because if that goes through. I don't know how you protect anything these days. Is anything safe? Is anything permanent? Is anything, is there anything that cannot be reversed if someone just wants to, you know, and and what, what can we put in place that actually protects those protections? So I think, I think that's a big question for the Biden-Harris administration. Well, one of the most compelling moments in this land at least for me, is when you talk about having a white mother and a black father and that your mother's side of the family disowned her when they got married. And that type of experience comes with pain. I, I shout, out, shout out to mixed folks. I came from a similar household, black father, white mother. I know that not everyone in the community uh, appreciated that <laughs> at that time when I was a kid. So one of the questions I had for you is, is doing this work um, also is running, is being outdoors. Is this all a form of healing for you personally? It's interesting because I don't focus on or think about healing or rest as much as I should. And it's something that Mm. I'm really appreciative of in the public conversations that people have been having about the importance of rest and, you know, pulling out the archives, like these quotes from folks like Audre Lorde talking about radical rest and and how to protect yourself as an activist and all these things. And it's, it's interesting because like, yeah, it's something that I'm increasingly reminding myself of too, that it's so important. Because of that, I wasn't using terms like healing and I wasn't thinking mm. of work as healing. But I think, yeah, in, in many ways that work has been healing for me. And I think in terms of running, I I come from a family of runners. And so some of my earliest memories are like the family at some kind of running track on a weekend. Um, and so running has always been a part of my life. I think when I finished running track at the college level, I was thoroughly confused about what to do with oh. my passion for it because I didn't really know about any other kind of running other than competitive track and field, or I didn't think I was going to be interested in any other kind of, of running. And when I realized I wasn't continuing on mm-hmm. with my own career there, it was like, what do I do? And I, I didn't actually expect the kind of, calm that I've found in distance running to be a part of my life. And then the spiritual connections with the natural world that I get from just being really overwhelmed or awestruck by a beautiful view when I come around some vista or something. Faith, how did you become interested in film? I actually used to work at summer camps in upstate New York with children from New York City, ages like 
six to 13 most of the time. And I just saw how much media was impacting my kids. I think especially mm. when I got into the end of high school and college, I started to read people like Toni Morrison and like yeah. Zadie Smith. And I felt like I was growing this personal identity around my black womanhood that I mm. could only get from getting access to these authors. And mm. you know, I was at the Hotchkiss school like super, you know, <laughs> crazy privileged boarding school in Connecticut. I went to Yale University. I studied African American studies. We have the first PhD uh, program in the country that had African American studies. So I knew that like to get to such an exclusive place huh, to get yeah. access to those stories. And I was like, my kids are not going to get all of them to these yeah. same places. So how do I bring these empowering narratives to them how do i bring it out of these places of privilege into something that's more accessible and the answer was clearly media sure sure what have you heard from people about the movie and you know have, has anyone come to you and said that your story or the story of others in the movie really resonated with them is there anyone who you know has spoken to like loving the outdoors feeling passionate about the outdoors but also feeling excluded from the outdoors Hearing from people who have seen the film has been like the most special part about the film. I've gotten yeah. emails from young black women in mm. college or below that want to be filmmakers. I've gotten reaches mm. from showrunners that are like, yo, there's more of us out here than we realize. Um, I mm. definitely have had people feel they've still, they said they felt seen, you know, I wanted people to see themselves. And I know yeah. that everyone isn't gonna see me and hear me and hear my perspective and think, oh yeah, that place is for me. But maybe hearing it from Jose, maybe hearing it from Dustin, and mm. maybe then that's gonna be the, the explicit invitation that people need to, whether it's go on a hike or write a letter about your local park or whatever it is. All right. And moving on to our final segment of the show. Uh, this is when we like to do something that's a little offbeat with each guest. And today, once again, uh, we're speaking with Faith Briggs. She's a documentary filmmaker and a runner. And Faith, we're going to talk New Year's resolutions. So just to start, uh, Faith, do you typically make New Year's resolutions? You know, I don't typically make New Year's resolutions. Um, partially, I think because my birthday is in November. And so I tend to make oh. themes each year closer okay. to that time. Um, and I also just try to like have some of the pressure of um, failure off by not making <laughs> sure. New Year's resolutions. What, uh, if you don't mind me asking, if it's not too personal, what was your theme coming out of your most recent birthday? Um, so my, my 31 year, my theme was bet on yourself. And for 32, Ooh. my theme is radical imagination. Bet on yourself and radical imagination. I like that. I like both. How did you arrive at bet on yourself? Um, just trying to gain confidence. Um, mm. I think very often it's really easy for us to think like, oh, no one's gonna, you know, I'm, I'm a new filmmaker. Um, it's really hard to pitch around. Actually, probably because of this land. Like originally when I was yeah. trying to tell people I wanted to make a film around running and the environment and race and history, there were only so many people who could really 
see clearly, oh yeah, there's a connection there. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And for those who will be making New Year's resolutions, uh, getting in healthy, getting in shape, they're often at the top of most people's lists. So for anyone who's looking to become a runner in 2021, any tips or advice for someone who's you know, just kind of starting out and, and is maybe a little intimidated for any number of reasons to start running? Any advice you have for people who just want to get started, but they get in their own way? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I sometimes want to get restarted and I get in my own mm. way. I think starting where you're at is is the most important thing. And and I'll say, I'll share two tricks that I use out and back mm. are a great way to do it. So you don't have to say, I'm going to go run three miles. I'm going to go run five miles, whatever it is. I think you can just say, I'm going to run out for 10 minutes. And when I get to 10 minutes, I'm going to turn around and run turn back. And come back. Yeah. So I love out and back. So you can do that for a 10 minute. You can do that for 15 minute. You can do that for 20 minute. You can build up, you know, for some people, focusing on the numbers and the mileage is really helpful. For some people, focusing on the numbers and the mileage can be really um, intimidating because they feel like they're not succeeding. So I think realizing that what works for other people might not work for you. Um, right. There were times in my life where I run with a watch and I use Strava and I track every mile. And the other thing I would say are food runs. I probably oh. like donut runs. So I'll map out a couple of places I want to stop or maybe I'll um, I take public transportation quite a bit less so during the pandemic, but sure. one of my favorite ways to run in the past has been to figure out where there's a donut shop that I want to okay. go to. And I'll be <laughs> like, cool, if I run this way, I'll get six miles and then I will have a donut and then I'll hop on the bus with my donut to get back to my house. And that's great. You can meet a friend for a donut run, like, you know, so we um, used to do, I, we did a taco run here with a group of friends where we had a taco every mile. Um, and crazy, everybody wanted to throw up at the end of it. But, you know, I just, I think like trying to figure <laughs> out ways to take the pressure off. So it works sure. for you. Sorry. One other thing, if you're a new runner, and you can go into a running shop that will do some kind of pace analysis for you. Mm. That can be really great. People don't think they have to learn how to run. We learn how to play baseball. We learn how to play mm. football, but we just go out of the house and run. Not having learned like a good technique and form right. can cause us to injure ourselves and then think, oh, running's not for me. Wonderful. Well, you heard it here. Out and backs, donut runs, check your gate. These are all great starting points for those of us who are 2021 trying to get the running pop. And I know a lot of people this year probably got the running started uh, due to COVID and there's, uh, I'm sure, an uptick in, in running happening already. So uh, so thank you so much, Faith, for your insights here. And thank you so much for being on Temperature Check today, Faith. It's been a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I, I love the podcast, so I'm excited to be on it. And before you bounce, uh, where can people find your work? You can find me basically on all platforms at Faith Eve B, uh, E-V-E-B-E-E. The This Land website is thisland.com. Um, and we we're continuing to add some exciting stuff on there. Um, so yeah, if you go there and sign up for the for the um, newsletter, you'll keep hearing more about that project specifically. Fantastic. Well, you heard it here, everyone. Go out and follow Faith on social media. Go out and watch This Land. It is a short but excellent and powerful movie. And once again, thank you so much, Faith, for being on Temperature Check. Thank you. Thank you.
That was powerful, Andrew. I mean, faith speaks so powerfully to issues of equity and access in the outdoors. And it's, you know, even particularly at this moment when these are things that I think a lot of people, particularly brown and black communities around the country and underprivileged communities and cities are, are feeling pretty poignantly during COVID. Yes, Faith is, she's, she's just fantastic, so inspiring. And I, I love that she used film as a medium to tell this story. Um, so y'all should go out and watch This Land if you haven't. And that's how we're closing out this first season of Temperature Check from Grist. Brady, I'll be watching and reading from home. Uh, what can listeners expect from Grist in 2021? Well, we're going into a really exciting year at Grist. And, you know, if this past year was a year of really figuring it out and making the road by walking and not knowing Mm. what was really coming next and going into a year that had so much uncertainty and anxiety and, 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 you know, we were wearing it in so many different ways and we were wearing it differently in different people and and our country wearing it differently at different points in the year. But as we look to 2021, my hope is that that Grist is really going to be a publication that's telling the story about how we work justly to a better future and really center that story and the solutions. We have a different administration, if you haven't noticed, uh, <laughs> that seems to be moving into the White House. There's a lot that will be going on that I hope that you see a different story starting to play out internationally as we go into the next COP at the end of 2021. Globally, we'll be taking stock on our progress against Paris. So there's there's just a lot that's happening over the next year when it comes to working toward a better, more just future and solving climate change. It's going to be a busy year indeed with so much news to cover, but uh, the Grist team has your back. Well, here's to a good year. And in the meantime, where can we keep up with you, Andrew, while you're away? Oh my goodness. I, I am... I'm so delinquent on social media. I do have a Twitter handle, which I, I never update, but it is Andrew25Simon. And I do occasionally post about the podcast on LinkedIn. So I guess I should be a better shameless self-promoter. Is that right, Brady? Well, no, I, I mean, you should, you, you, you put it out there though. So people can follow your, <laughs> your, your Twitter and maybe they'll see a, a new, a new baby, a new baby boy gracing, uh, gracing social media. Uh, stay safe out there, everyone. And don't forget, you can still find us at Chris.org. Temperature Check is a podcast from Grist, producing collaboration with Reasonable Volume. I'm your host, Andrew Simon. It's produced by Brianna Flores with editing by Elise Hugh and Rachel Swaby. Caroline Saunders is Grist's chief of staff and this podcast marketing lead. Sound engineering is by Mark Bush. Grist is a nonprofit reader-supported newsroom covering climate, justice, and solutions. If you'd like to support what we do, you can rate, subscribe, and tell all your friends to subscribe to Temperature Check. You can also help to sustain our work by going to grist.org slash donate. That's G-R-I-S-T dot org slash donate. It has been such a great season. So thanks so much for sticking it out with us. I hope you have a great 2021. I hope it's safe. I hope it's great for the world. And until we meet again. Hold up. 